Welcome to the STR Data Lab. Hello and welcome to another episode of the STR Data Lab. My name is Jamie Lane, Chief Economist at AirDNA, and I'm here with our Jamie. new co-host, uh, Paralee Walls. Paralee, our new VP of Marketing at AirDNA, just started a couple weeks ago and already diving in to, to the podcast with me. Welcome, Paralee. Thank you for having me, Jamie. I'm really excited to dig into an enormous amount of data and research <laughs> updates with you that I think you were planning on building a bit of suspense by asking me a few questions, no? I, yeah, I, I think I am. <laughs> so before we get in, maybe just let's start with why AirDNA? What? I I know you've listened to the podcast. I know you've seen our company over the years, like from afar, but why did you join? Why are you happy to be here? Why am I here? That's a great question, Jamie Lane. <laughs> to be honest, I have a really, really good friend who works here who told me about the role. And uh, if AirDNA could put up with him and keep him excited for three years, then I knew it'd be a good fit for me too. This sounds like a great guy. Who, who was it? I think his name is Jamie Lane. <laughs> yes. Great friend, Early. So excited you are here. <laughs> well, thank you. But to, to finish answering your question, what really excites me the most is aside from this weirdly amazing culture, because seriously, everyone is really excited to be here, which is super fun. AirDNA was always on my radar as a company to watch. And I first heard about them about six or seven years ago when I was looking to buy my first investment property and listed as a short-term rental. You know, we're mm -hmm. just looking for that. And I'd always been a bit of a data nerd. I married a hospitality economist. So digging into the platform together was like our favorite date night activity for a little while. <laughs> um, I know. I know you would love that. That's um, that so my kind of date. <laughs> <laughs> So we did use AirDNA to identify an underserved market, figure out how many bedrooms and what amenities would get us the highest occupancy, and model out like if it'd be worth it, would we make any profit? It was like magic. And from my one, from what I understand, it was a decent investment, right? Yes, yeah, we are uh, six and a half years in, and it has gone up every single year. We've been really happy with it. And we've been able to take more days for ourselves, which we didn't do at all in the first year. And this isn't part of what we had talked about asking, but how did the <laughs> sort of <laughs> revenues align with what AirDNA uh, told you it was actually going to earn? I think, well, the market uh, has changed a lot in this town and they have recently implemented some new short-term rental boundaries, which are still going to change everything. But I'd say within the first two years, we were earning what AirDNA said we would. And then beyond that, we've been able to play with it and maximize it. And now we're earning twice what AirDNA originally told us we would. I haven't looked it up lately, though. So I have to, <laughs> have to check and see if it's, it's right now. Yeah. And, and so you, you did mention the AirDNA culture. Like, one, we see this as a participatory culture. Like, so how do you envision that you're going to be able to contribute to uh, what we have here at AirDNA? Well, it's, it's really funny. And Jamie, you know this, but the audience doesn't know. I used to be a high school teacher and 
even though tech and software always fit better into my professional career, I never really lost sight of the core reason I became a teacher, which is that I believe any anything. And the reason they don't is because they don't want, you know, they don't feel like the messaging is is for them or they just don't care. So if you've worked in product or marketing, you've probably heard of this called like buyer personas or persona-based journeys. You figure out who the audience is, what their challenges and hopes and dreams are, and then you craft their experiences in a way that resonates with them so that they want to learn more. Mm -hmm. Um, So imagine, I have a little scenario here for you, (laughs) trying to teach a bunch of 17-year-olds demonstrative pronouns in Spanish and what a nightmare that could possibly be. Who wants to learn demonstrative pronouns? Nobody, right? So then imagine asking those same kids to create their own version of MTV MTV Cribs in Espanol. This is my house. Those are my cars. This is my pool. Those are my collections of gold statues. So we at AirDNA need to make learning and using short-term rental data and analytics exciting to different people, right? So my mother-in-law who's wanted to buy a property for years and spends most of her day on Zillow, poking around and finding cool properties, right? To the property manager with 50 units or the host who's offering a room in his house to the tourism boards for destination markets. They all have different challenges and visions for what the future should be. And I look forward to providing them with a very personalized approach to becoming data nerds just like you. I love that because I've always felt like marketing is is able to create and sort of craft the story that's going to resonate with our with our listeners, with our clients. So the fact that we've got you here now to help us do that and do it in a more effective way, and because we do have, and you've already been learning such a varied client base, it's it, <laughs> uh, we've got to speak to a lot of people uh, all the time. And that's uh, my favorite kind of challenge. And so, last question. Before we dig into the data, and you know I'm raring to dig into the data, and I know you are too. So for our listeners, and getting to hear your voice for the first time, and what are your sort of strengths that you're going to be bringing to the table, both for RDNA and for the podcast, and how are you going to sort of leverage them in, in your new position? Because, and I feel like we're all getting to, and I've known you, but we're all we're all getting to know you now, and and what, what should we expect? You know, I really think it, it is that personalized approach that I am a really, a, I'm a data nerd in a different way than you are because I want to know what those journeys are going to look like for our varied audience so that whenever someone comes to our website or our platform or talks to anybody on our team, they feel like we know exactly who they are and how to give them the answers they want and not all the other stuff. The other stuff is great, but it's not for them. So there's there's that part. And I think the other part, because I mentioned culture a little bit earlier, is just celebrating this insanely amazing culture. It's like being a nerd at nerd camp. Like everyone here is excited about data, wants to talk about data, and figure out how to get more people excited about using data to enhance their lives. So it's like a beehive in this office, watching everybody buzzing around to coordinate their different projects and talk about the latest reports. So it's just really 
inspiring, I think, and an exciting for me because I'm a high energy person to see nobody slacking, nobody bored, nobody mediocre. Like every, it's a team of A plus players who are all genuinely trying to solve really cool, challenging problems together. And I think adding one more B to that beehive is just gonna make this whole town like even better. Yeah, and I, I I really held back there with a with a slack joke, uh, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, do tell. <laughs> so that's awesome. Uh, I'm, as I said, so excited to have you here, uh, especially with your sort of expertise that you sort of bring. I'm both on the marketing side and sort of deep history. I mean, seven years as short term rental host using data to make your investments. I know you guys have been looking at other investments and analyzing it. And I, I, I feel that your sort of experience in this space on top of everything you bring on the uh, marketing and storytelling side is, is going to be a great fit. So, Well, thank you, Jamie Lane. But enough about me. The people are here to get your take on AirDNA's latest report from July about the US. Also, we've got their reports from Airbnb, Verbo, and Expedia. Where do they align and where do they don't? And finally, one of my favorites. We, who made the list for the best air property managers in the US? So let's do it, Jamie. Starting with your own report, what happened in July other than that record-breaking heat and me becoming your new co-host. Yeah. So the, the <laughs> uh, it's funny, the record-breaking heat. It, it's been a hot month, hasn't it? But that hot month did translate into record-breaking demand. So we saw more people stay in short-term rentals during the month of July in the U.S. than any other time in history. Uh, so really an amazing high-water mark. Uh, for industry performance, there are 35.4 million nights stayed uh, in a short-term rental during the month of July in the U.S. So unbelievable demand. Uh, we did break the record from last year. So July uh, 2022 was the previous sort of high water mark, uh, and we surpassed that by 9.4%. Uh, so no weakness in demand, uh, so to say. I mean, the consumer is there. People are traveling. People are traveling internationally. Uh, the growth that we saw in Europe even surpassed that of, of the U.S. So when we look globally, it was a record for travel and short-term rentals. When we look at the booking platforms, so Airbnb, Verbo, booking, all seeing record demand, uh, it, it was really across the board uh, strong metrics. That said, <laughs> I knew there was a, a but. A but. Demand growth is slowing. Uh, so we're 12, 15 percent um, in the first half of the year. So this is now the first month of growth uh, in the single digits. So less than 10 percent really since the recovery started after um, in sort of mid 2020. Uh, so a clear slowing there. Uh, this was another month of declining occupancies. So occupancies fell by 1.3% to 69.5%. So 
as I said, as I've been saying, we're still higher than 2019. So we're still eight and a half percent higher than 2019, but still falling. So we were down in last July, we were down 10% from the highs that we'd saw in 2021 and down further. We're still closer to that 2021 level than we are the 2019. So I'm still feeling good. Uh, And then another first was uh, uh, we saw an overall decline in average daily rates down 1% uh, year over year basis. Uh, So we had been sort of hovering around zero to slightly positive ADRs and absolutely some declining ADRs across the country in certain markets. Uh, But this was the first time we got to an overall decline in average daily rates. Uh, So declining ADRs, declining occupancy means and the average revenue that a property is getting is falling. Uh, So REVPAR, so revenue for available uh, rental was down 2.3% for uh, the month uh, compared to last year. So So we've got a new record, right, for nights booked. Yeah. But... Average daily rates and revenue are down. How how do the how do you measure how do you marry those two? Yeah, and it's it's all supply. So we're seeing s- still continued uh, supply growth. I be it it's slowing. So just like demand growth slowing, supply growth is slowing. So we saw twelve percent supply growth in July. And if you think back to what we were seeing last year, where supply was growing at double the rate, so 24 plus percent. And that was massive supply growth. So if we didn't have the Fed raising interest rates, didn't see sort of the affordability of homes sort of collapse over the past year, and we're still seeing 25 plus percent supply growth and marry that with only 10% demand growth, like we'd be seeing really significant drops in occupancy. Uh, So I mean, overall, I think it's still a a pretty picture for the industry, given that supply is slowing uh, so substantially. That said, like it is harder and harder and harder to find investments. It makes the work that our clients are doing uh, that much harder to find prof- profitable uh, units to add to to their inventory, uh, and it makes and tools. Uh, like what we have that much more valuable, I feel like, for our clients to, to find those right opportunities. Are you plugging AirDNA, Jamie Lane? We're Never. trying to keep this podcast focused on the data. So I'm <laughs> curious um, now, especially on the supply side, right? You said supply keeps going up, but demand isn't growing as fast. So there has to be a limit, right? What do you think, what, what's in your crystal ball for this? I know it's not short-term rental data, but on the supply side, what's going to make it go backwards? What's going to make supply begin to reaccelerate or go negative? Go negative. Oh, I don't think it ever goes negative. Uh, mm. I am part of the camp that travel is a sort of secular trend that we're seeing. Uh, there's more people traveling today than ever in the past. We've seen the share of lodging spend of overall consumer wallet continue to increase. So more people are wanting to spend on experiences, more people are wanting to spend on travel, less on things. Uh, And there's only a limited number of hotels being built. That's actually decreasing pretty substantially today in the interest rate environment that we're at. Like 
I'm actually sitting here in Nashville today at the Hotel Data Conference. Uh, and we're in talking about <laughs> uh, in a hotel. Man, I shouldn't shouldn't have said that. <laughs> you should have really floofed up some art or something in the background, Jamie. We're in the short-term rental business here. Yeah, this is a, uh, a pretty boring hotel. But people are going to need to stay somewhere. Uh, short-term rentals have really flexible supply. So when the demand's there, hosts can add supply to accommodate that supply uh, or that demand pretty quickly. And that's where I see as long as the demand's there, of which I think is going to be given where we expect the economy to be, uh, where we expect uh, traveler demand to be, and short-term rentals will continue to be able to accommodate those those guests. Awesome. And that was the answer I was hoping to get, that us hosts don't need to be freaking out that there are more and more hosts coming on, just Let's all be flexible and let's be calm and welcome everybody to the community because the growth is coming. Love that. So last up in your report, which is always my favorite part, is the changing demand by location. Talk to me about what you found. And if you have property in Arizona, listen up. <laughs> uh, so it's an interesting thing. So uh, and we're still seeing the fastest supply growth. Um, in the small city rural areas and mid-sized cities. So 15, 20% growth in those areas. It's still slowing. And just like we're seeing across all location types from uh, June to July. But where we're seeing demand, our ADRs actually turn uh, across locations is everywhere else. So we're actually still seeing positive ADR growth in small city, mid-sized cities, uh, the biggest declines in ADRs are actually the only declines in ADRs are across all the other location types. So uh, we're actually seeing the biggest declines in mountain uh, lake markets. Uh, so think like Colorado Mountains, uh, Adirondacks, uh, North Carolina, sort of Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, some of these areas that saw pretty steep supply growth last year. Uh, that yeah. increased competition, the declining occupancy levels that we've seen are causing the biggest decline in ADRs in those areas. We're actually seeing now declining ADRs in some of the urban areas uh, and then across suburban and, and coastal markets, anywhere from on average one to uh, 2% declines. Interesting. Now, I know we're, we're keeping this show primarily focused on the U.S. reporting for now, but how do you think international supply and international travel is affecting some of our stays and books nights here at home? It's an interesting thing because of what's happening in the recovery uh, of international outbound. So that's Americans traveling overseas is at record levels. So you hear about the... And, I feel like every summer now is like branded. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so there was like hot back summer. There was, what was that? Hot girl summer. Or I, I forget all the, all the, all the names of them, but this summer was hot European summer. Like everyone <laughs> traveling to Europe. I know I had all sorts of friends traveling and you hear it in the news that Europeans overrun by Americans. And you see it in the data, like more yeah. Americans traveling overseas than ever before. What you don't see 
consequently, is everyone else traveling to the U.S. So we're still well below pre-pandemic levels of inbound international travel. And a big piece of that is what's going on with the U.S. dollar. Yeah. So it's still... <laughs> Don't let me. Uh, yeah, very expensive, uh, and even comparatively uh, to travel, given uh, where the dollar's at. It is coming down a bit, uh, but it's still that, and that's having a real impact uh, on on inbound international and controversially in the cities and the large uh, metro areas and even some of the beach markets uh, that historically have really depended on international travel. So some weak areas like. Miami is suffering right now. Uh, they had a boom during the pandemic of resort market you could travel to domestically, not not have to and really travel and too far to. They had really lax COVID precautions. COVID protocols, so you, could, yeah. you could go out to the bars, you could go to the beach, you could and get back to it. And now, like instead of Miami, people are going to Nice or Cannes or Greece. And we're not sort of filling back in with international travelers. Like pre-pandemic was like 40% of demand was coming from international travelers in Miami. And you're just not seeing that. You're not seeing it come back from Latin America. You're not seeing it come in from Asia. Uh, and that's, that's uh, they're not sort of seeing that backfill as Americans have started traveling elsewhere. It all makes sense. So then what happened with Arizona? <laughs> uh, Arizona has been a... And is it a hot market? Um, a it, uh, uh, literally and in the data, haha. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, demand has increased the most of that market out of our top uh, fifty markets. I think is part of it is just supply. Uh, so uh, it's been one of our fastest supply growth markets. So yes, demand increased by thirty four percent in Phoenix. But occupancy also declined. So uh, supply was up significantly higher than that, almost 50% higher. Uh, wow. So it's uh, it's a, a double-edged sword. Like, yes, the fastest demand market, uh, but also not a market where we're seeing continued occupancy growth. And we're, we're seeing more of a reversion than most uh, in that market because of, of so much supply coming into there. So should we move on? to the other reports. I know our data is fabulous, but how does it align to what Airbnb, Verbo, and Expedia had to say in their latest reports? Yeah, so I'm following on the trend of sort of record demand across the industry. Airbnb reported nights booked up 11%. Uh, that was a new record, 37% higher than pre-pandemic levels. So blockbuster Q2 for them. Gross booking value up 13%, revenue up 18%, listings, uh, and they report listings sort of weird. They exclude China. Uh, so if everyone remembers last summer, we were talking about Airbnb pulled out of China. So by reporting their supply growth out in ex-China or excluding China, and it sort of makes it look a little bit better. So they sort of said 19% supply growth, but if you include China back in that, like it only grew by about 12%. But think back to, and I know you were sort of following along with the sort of viral tweet and collapse and Airbnb revenue per available listing. 
So we've got Airbnb's revenues going up 18%. We've got overall supply growth, if you include China, of 12%. So actually, revenue per available listing for the average Airbnb host globally is actually going up. Ah, so right. For Airbnb, and a lot of that is Europe. We're actually, we are seeing a, a slight decline in that um, in the U.S. and North America. And for Airbnb in general, they're seeing continued acceleration in listings, which for a company like them, I mean, that's great. They are I'm in the uh, business of convincing more people to host, adding more supply, and then convincing guests that they've got the right supply for their trip. Uh, and they are amazing at really promoting this sector. Uh, Airbnb is synonymous with I'm staying in a short-term rental. I mean, I'm actually interested in your thoughts on this. They said on the call that 90% of their traffic is direct to their site. Like, is that good? Is that bad? Yeah. It's an interesting thing because if you were going to look at basically any other company, let's just call it your standard software company, that would be bizarre unless they didn't invest any money into paid media. <laughs> but the reason is that people are lazy. And I know that's not the answer you want to hear as a researcher yourself, but the average person is not going to open their browser, type in airbnb.com or verbo.com, and then click all the filters to find a property. That takes too long. Likely they're searching from their phone, which happens to have a handy little search bar right there on their home screen. So they type in Airbnb in downtown Boulder with three bedrooms close to a brewery, Google. And Google mm-hmm. does all the work. It takes them right to the listings that satisfy you know, their requests. So that, that doesn't surprise me, but it's not something that I would brag about necessarily because you're not controlling that buyer's journey. But and the fact that they don't, where the investors, where the Wall Street investors sort of like to differentiate Airbnb then from uh, Expedia and Booking or Verbo, uh, is that they'd spend a lot with Google to drive traffic, paid traffic to the site. So Expedia and Booking can increase bookings like on their site but they're essentially paying for every single one of those users. So it's it's like a knob that can turn of like, all right, we need more bookings. Like, let's spend more money and drive, drive more uh, potential guests to the site. So the fact that Airbnb can do that without having to spend money on marketing, that there's just organically more people just coming to their site is, I mean, if I was a marketer, I would... I would choose unpaid advertising or unpaid uh, traffic all day, right? <laughs> right. And that's why maybe we should start a spinoff on marketing for short-term rental companies. But that's why search engine optimization is so vital to everything we're doing. Why descriptions have to be so good and include the words that people are searching for. That's what makes those listings so strong. And having titles and descriptions for all the photos only adds to that. So it's really all about how those listing pages are, are put together that contributes to that. So there's work to be done there. 
and and there's always a place for paid. It's it is an easy knob to turn, but um, I like to use paid media as a supplement, not as the primary. So it it sounds like we've got a blog in the mix of of leveraging your ex, uh, SEO experience on how our how our host friends and clients can be leveraging organic versus paid traffic to both their Airbnb listings and uh, their direct sites. I love it. I love it, Jamie Lane. <laughs> we'll see where it fits into the content strategy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I know we've covered a lot of really fun data today, but what is it all for if not to see who's winning, right? So there are some folks out there that are absolutely crushing it. We just released our annual rankings for property management, best property management companies in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Who made the list and what makes them a top property manager? Yeah, I'll, I'll start uh, with just how we did the, the sort of the methodology behind the paper, because I mean, it is one of my favorites. Uh, <laughs> and our listeners will know, like the best markets in the U.S. invest is like one of my least favorite reports because it's. I mean, investing is such a personalized thing and like to come up with a list of like, these are the markets that everyone should be looking at, like is just, I mean, it, it's hard for, hard to sort of uh, generalize that. But this one, I, I feel like we actually can because there's sort of hard metrics and we can actually score. We can actually I mean, dig in at a, at a market, at a state level. Uh, so that's what we did. Um, and so our measure here of top property managers isn't profitability, isn't revenue, isn't review counts. It's guest ratings. So the average rating at the property, and we're doing some like interesting weightings, like to make sure that uh, each property, each property manager sort of accurately uh, scored against each other. And then so in the eyes of the guests, Who's doing it best? And one of the things that we see across property managers is that they typically, especially the large one, get significantly lower review scores than the average individual host. And as you scale your inventory, that makes it harder and harder and harder to keep consistently getting five-star reviews. So this is our opportunity to highlight, like, who are those property managers? that can scale and still get five-star reviews. So my suggestion to anyone who's listening that is a property manager or an aspiring property manager is to dig into these property managers. What are they doing? What do their listings look like? How are they describing? Because and in my experience, like and outside of just executing, uh, the easiest or quickest way to a five-star review is of having expectations, having expectations of lines with between the guest and the host of clearly sort of outlining what someone's going to get for the price that they're paying and that then those expectations are met. So that said, there was a theme across our property managers that sort of got top in the US. And it was sort of this mid-size sort of sweet spot in terms of listing counts. So no property manager over 100 listings actually made 
I know, the the top six in the U.S. Uh, they're all sort of between twenty and and fifty. So top one, uh, stay a while villas. Uh, number two, uh, traveler vacation homes, and number three, uh, vacay AZ. Uh, all so right. all of them sort of mid twenties, all averaging across uh, mid twenties in terms of listing counts, uh, mm-hmm. all averaging over a four point nine stars, uh, wow. which is amazing, and all with o- well over a thousand reviews. So to get that many reviews and averaging, I'm almost every rating is a five-star review. That's, that's commendable and hats off to you. Yes. Congratulations. And to see the rest of the list and a bit more information behind the methodology, you can check out the AirDNA blog. So is that it for our show today, Jeremy? Yeah. And I'll, I'll just say that too. We've got a cool little uh, tool uh, within that blog where you can dig into the top property managers by state and by market. So fellow listener, you may have been uh, nominated or gotten an award as a top property manager for your area. So please check it out. Uh, and if you found that you're a top property manager, uh, please share it um, on the socials. Would love for you to tag me. I'm really excited for I'm being able to call out great work when it's, when it's deserved. And i obviously guests are resonating with the, with these property managers. Absolutely. Well, I think that might be it for today, friends. I hope you will join us next week. Very exciting interview between Jamie and our good friend, Isaac from STR. Want to give us a sneak peek, Jamie? Yeah. So I'm, as I said, at the hotel data conference today uh, in Nashville, uh, we're presenting on the competition between hotels and short-term rentals. Uh, it's heating up. There's price competition. There's competition for demand. Uh, it's playing out across the different cities. Uh, and we're digging into which markets are hotels gaining share, which markets are short-term rentals gaining share, how are the pricing trends playing out between the two sectors, uh, and what we expect uh, over the year ahead. So. I'm excited to present it and then excited to interview Isaac for the show where we can uh, dig into the results. Oh, I'm really looking forward to it. That means I won't be here with you next week, but you can catch me in two weeks asking Jamie the big questions. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. See you next time.